0: Amen. Well, New City, it's time for the preaching of God's Word. God's priest's Word does not come by any might, any power, certainly not mine on today, but only by the Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so we're going to look for God's Spirit to be transforming us, bringing us higher, directing us wherever He wants to go. And so we say, Lord, have your way right now in my life. Life. And so we're going to be looking at various scripture texts. We're going to be looking at John and then 1 John. And we're going to be looking at a title, Never Eat Soggy Wheat. It'll make sense in the moment, I hope. Um, but Jesus is wanting his disciples, his people, to be known for something, to be marked by something. And so we're going to be looking at that. Never eat soggy wheat. First scripture text, I'll just read here. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 15, going up to John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 1 John 3, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And then 1 John 4 And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother, his sister. Let us pray. Lord God, we look to you as the great sovereign, the one that holds everything in your hand, Lord. And so you are holding us, O Lord, direct us. Speak to us what you want to speak to us this, this, this morning. Let us have ears that we may hear, eyes that we may see, O oh Father, afresh, O oh Lord. Carry us up in your word. Draw us closer to you, Lord. Be with us all here as we receive your word. Help us to apply it to our heart and to be attentive to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Never Eat Soggy Wheat. Never Eat Soggy Wheat. That stands for North, East, South, West. That's what my Dawson Elementary School teacher, school craft in Ever- um, Abington, uh, grandma area in Detroit, that's what she taught her class, how we were to remember our wind directions. Never Eat soggy wheat. And I'm sure that you all have things in your mind, things that are known for this, things that are known for, for that. After all, you think of the, the greatest basketball player ever to live, you automatically think of Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron James. When you think of salt, you think of pepper. You think of peanut butter, you think of jelly. Think of summer that we're in. Doesn't look much like it today, but you think of maybe fun or vacation. And even when it comes to the Lord Jesus, whether you believe on him or not, today, a word associated with him, you may have heard, is love. Jesus, what? Loves you. Or maybe from Scripture, God is love. And so as we think of certain things that are, they represent this or that, I want you to hear me this morning. I want to reflect with me this morning the question, what are you known for? Maybe things are entering into your mind, things that you know about yourself, maybe things that you want to be, maybe some things that someone has said about yourself. What are you known for? But whatever that may be in your head, I want to go, beyond. I want to go deeper than than that. Whatever you have in your head above that, above all, are you particularly known for your love? Those that are closest to us, what do they see? And maybe even on the opposite side, those that we particularly may not see the eye to eye with, do they yet still, yet somehow know us by our love? And then Even this day, we're we're several hours into this day. Have you been known for your love? Jesus, uh, he he wants wants it clear that if you are a follower of him, no matter how young you are, we recently have some young professions of faith, no matter how young you are, or if you are older, Jesus wants you to display his love, to be marked by his love. And so, when we look at this word, this passage of love, we see that it is in the highest form of love. It's an agape type of love. So, what it's doing is it's going beyond and deeper than what we think may be earned. It's going beyond and deeper what we think that may be deserved. It goes beyond and deeper than that natural, emotional connection or feeling. It can be those things, but it goes beyond. It goes deeper, but rather I heard it said that it's more of an unconditional, compassionate, righteous, responsible, selfless, and sacrificial type of love that is committed to the well-being of others and their flourishing. A quick reflection, when we look at this, how Jesus demonstrated this, we see that Jesus, he, he came into the world for who? The undeserving. Jesus came into this world and sacrificed his life for people like us who often turn our backs on him continually and constantly. It's a sacrificial type of love for people like us who oftentimes want our own way. We don't want God's way so many times. For people like us, Uh, who want to display love irresponsibly. We want to love on our own terms. We want to dictate how we give out our love. We want to dictate how we withhold back our love. And so this is what we do. So that's why Jesus came. Jesus steps in, is continually flipping the tables over in our lives to make things right. Oh, it's a righteous type of love. Jesus steps in, and he continually shows us the way so that we might live more fully, abundantly in the here and now, but in the future for all eternity. It's a flourishing type of love. And so this is the many ways that Jesus puts love on display. This is the type of love that every follower up in here ought to be known for. But here's the plot. Here's the conflict that you may be feeling. Maybe you're feeling that we're in, I'm incapable of loving in such a way. Lord, I'm too far gone to love in this way. Lord, I'm setting my ways. I've grown up this way. I messed up too, too many times for it to make a difference. Now, and so we indeed struggle a whole lot with this type of love, don't we? I, I will raise two hands. We struggle with that type of love. And so maybe you're hesitant. Maybe you're hesitant in here, and that's, that's all well and fine. But let me, let's ask a committed, well-follower of Jesus, the Apostle Peter. Ask him if he was showing a compassionate, agape, responsible, sacrificial, selfless, flourishing type of love to his Gentile sisters and brothers in Galatians chapter 2. If you're not familiar with it, go to and read that. You will see that the Apostle Peter, he missed God's voice there. He missed the display of God's love there. And so if you reflect upon that passage, he, rather, he was shown a form of hip- hypocrisy. And so if Peter wasn't automatically safe, what I'm trying to say, from, from displaying God's love, even demonstrating discrimination and what we may call a form of racism today. If the apostle Peter did that to his fellow followers of Jesus, that we too must be mindful that we can fail in the most awful of ways. And so i also say a, a quick note there that any current lack of love doesn't mean that you're not loving well in another area. Maybe in that same scenario, uh, Peter was shown as being loving to his Jewish sisters and brothers while at the same time being very unloving to his Gentile sisters and brothers. And so I'll just, I'll just point that out. But still, I ask, what is on display in your life? When someone disagrees with you, what do they see? Do they see love on display or do they just see an angry face that really is telling them, be silent? Stop talking. This this generation that many of us have a hand in raising, what do they see? Do they only see our frustration for them? Our our, our, Our disappointment with them? What do they see? Do they see that correction? While at the same time noticing that you're perhaps overlooking, downplaying your own evil actions and sin in your life that you want to really hang on to. Look around. Go ahead, look around to your fellow sisters and brothers. What do they see on display? What do they see to those outside our community? Do they see love? And so, as I said earlier, here's the thing. We fail and really are failing in many types of ways regarding this high type of love, this Jesus type of love. Why? Because it's so easy to love those that we have things in common with, When we have all the same questions and answers, uh, when those good feelings are present, it's easy to love like that. But here's the thing. Jesus knows all of that. He knows our preferences. He knows our frustrations, this, that, the third, whatever we can offer up to Him, He knows all of that. And yet, we see His command for us still remains the same. Be known for my love. And so the question today is not if we are able to love this way, because in and of ourselves, we can't love this way. But the question is, are we willing to continually learn from Jesus how to love this way? And so if you are, Jesus is saying, no matter things done in the past, no matter things that you are caught up in right now, if you are willing to learn, then Jesus is saying, I'm here to show you and give you the answers and how to walk it out. Amen. And so we're going to move into how Jesus gives us this command. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. John 15, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And this commandment we have from him, 1 John, whoever loves God must also love his brother, his sister. Jesus gives us instructions to do something and be known for something, that he fully expects to be displayed in our life. He doesn't suggest that this is an option or something we can overlook or not be concerned about. Rather, the command to love is an absolutely central component to the identity of any follower of his. And so, if you want to walk in the ways of Jesus, that means that you ought to be continually committed to to learn from Jesus how to display his love. And so if you're walking, you're you're walking in love. If you're talking, you're talking in love. If you're trying to do something, you're doing it in love. And so whatever it is, we are to be marked, stamped upon, it to be stamped upon us. And then when we look upon these verses, maybe you notice that we see particularly that it mentions loving one another. And here I can't help but to notice that it's seemingly highlighted that those close to us or in our own community, that at times it will prove to be challenging for even his disciples. It's addressed repeatedly because Jesus knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So to to fulfill this all-encompassing command, yes, the world around us ought to know us by our love, but his disciples need to first be known for love amongst each other. Because after all, how can we love those who oppose us if we can't even love our own well? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother, his sister. When you look at the disciples that Jesus called and gathered, you will see that he gathered men, women, girls, boys, uh, different well, agendas, goals, different walks of life. In other words, people that probably wouldn't necessarily associate amongst each other if it wasn't for Jesus. And yet, through all these differences, Jesus is saying, if there ought to be a known, obvious, and identification marker amongst them, then it ought to be love. If you all ever had an opportunity to uh, fly in an airplane and you went to a major airport, what you have to do is, before you get on the airplane, you have to go to a security checkpoint line. And eventually, when you're in that line, you're going to come up to a TSA agent, and that TSA agent is surely going to look at you and then proceed to ask from. some proper form of identification. And if what they see doesn't match with the image and likeness of your ID, then there's essentially no proof that you are who you say you are. What I'm trying to say is proper identification is required. Love for one another is the proper identification that God is requiring to be visible in our life. And so since this command is a basic and an essential identification marker of any follower of Jesus, we are to keep that ID, that identification on our person, just like you keep your ID in your purse or or your wallet or or your school ID or your passport to travel. We we, we see, uh, uh, why should we do this? Because it is proof that you are who you say you are. So a compassionate, righteous, responsible, selfless, sacrificial, flourishing type of love is something to be continually present in the disciples' life. And so we see this as a recurring theme in our scripture text and really throughout the Bible because Jesus wants us to keep this love before us. We are to be dependent upon him to walk this out. And then when it perhaps comes a time when you think that you arrived, Jesus is still continually calling us to come up higher and higher, and higher. You haven't attained? Because this love, you can't, you, you can't limit this type of love. And so he wants us to extend it, this love further, wider, deeper, longer. How do I know that? Look at the, the Scriptures keeps coming up. This love thing comes up throughout the Scriptures. First Peter 4 8 says, above all, keep loving one another. How? Earnestly. Why? Because since love covers a multitude of sins. You cannot limit this high form of love or what it's going to do in someone's life, what it's going to do in your life. 1 Corinthians jumps in, 13. Love does what? It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Can this love be stopped? No, this love never ends. It never ends. So, When you think about loving your your sisters and your your brothers, think about how Jesus' love for you never ends. Think about how he came to live the perfect life, to, to fulfill the righteousness that we could never fulfill on our own. Think about the evil in ourselves that we still willingly produce at times. But yet Jesus chose to step in, taking our sin, our our punishment upon himself by dying on that cross, on that tree. Think about the resurrection raised on that third day that that signifies that whoever… Whoever, I know somebody needs to hear that, whoever in their life. They need to hear that, whoever, because I know there there are times that the devil's in your ear and you're doubting yourself. Whoever comes to this Lord Jesus is cleansed, is made new. Think about how he turns us. We're walking this way as enemies, and he turns it around, turns us and makes us into friends. That's the type of love that Jesus does. And so since this love never ends for us, We can be delighted. Oh, that this Savior of sinners, oh, how he invites us to display his love. It's not a command. It's it's a we get to put his love on display. We get to raise that banner up in love higher and higher and higher. And so Jesus gives us this loving command, really, is it? It's a loving command. But now we move into how Jesus gives us a loving command, but he also gives us the answers He gives us the answer, and he pays for us the way. Let me show you how. He he doesn't just command us to do something. He practically models it himself to show us how to do it. Before the command in John 13 that we read, if you start off chapter 13, Jesus gives a hands-on example of loving by washing his disciples' feet. Jesus practically gets his hands dirty, First, to demonstrate how we are to walk in his ways. Scripture says that we cannot not love God. We love God because God first loved us. That's how we love, that's how we're enabled to love. And so the only so before the commandment, and and, and then let's drop down to 15:12, Jesus again gives us the answer. First, he gives us the answer practically, washing the disciples' feet. Now he gives us an answer, and he, he gives us an answer more of in a theological type of way. Uh, chapter 15, Jesus starts off with one of his I am saints. That I am, uh, he gives an illustration that I am the true vine. Jesus talking about himself. The I am there, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's that Greek word that's translated egoini, which is pointing to the identity of being the great I am before his disciples. It's pointing back to when the Lord revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that I am that I am at the the burning bush. And so when Moses is afraid and unwilling to fulfill this assignment uh, before Pharaoh, uh, Jesus, uh, he, he, he is saying that the same thing now to his disciples and to all his future disciples, which includes us, that he's saying, I know that you might feel unable like Moses to love in this way. Like Moses, I know that, truth be told, you're oftentimes unwilling to love in this way. But Jesus is saying, look here, I am the great I am. I'm the one who made the heavens, the earth, and the seas, everything in them, I've made you. And so you're going to have to depend on me in real time, just like my servant Moses had to depend on me. He had to tell Moses, who made man's mouth, Moses? Moses. I'm going to give you the tools, everything you need to fulfill what I have you to fulfill. And so there are going to be some red seas in your life that's going to seem impossible to cross. There's going to be some uh, rocks of temptation and frustration that you're going to want to strike out and get ahead of Jesus and, and, and leave his direction. And so those times are going to come. But Jesus is saying, my command for you when those things come is still to display my assignment of love. And so after Jesus lifts himself as the true vine to really let his disciples, know, let me tell you, let you know who you're dealing with, disciples, he then proceeds to give them the answer. The answer to accomplish this type of love in John 15 is to abide or remain in him. A commentator says this. He says, The idea of remaining or abiding in Christ has to do with intimacy and relationship. Jesus Christ is our source, the only one who can provide the spiritual sustenance and vitality we need to be useful believers. Thus, we need to hang out with him. You can't avoid Jesus all week and then show up on Sunday morning expecting growth. We only produce much fruit when we remain in Him. And then I'll, I'll add this, we can't produce much, the much, much fruit, of, much fruit or love if, if we only seek to love God in, in one way. What I'm trying to say is, if you're seeking Him theologically, then you must be also seeking Him practically and the other way around as well. How many of you have read your Bible And then it seems like two seconds later, you completely forgot what you've read. Why? Because we just can't be reading our Bible. We have to be actively applying the Bible in our lives. That's why Hebrews 4 says it's a living and it's an active word. Living and active meant for continual transformation. To be like Christ, so the idea of abiding or remaining in Him is that everything about us ought to be entangled up in Him. Our, our doubts, our, our fears, our, our struggles, our hopes, our dreams—all entangled in Him. And so, when you begin to abide and to remain in Him, just like the branch of vine receives a, a, a branch receives its nourishment and growth from the vine we are going to see and begin to notice that a continual nourishment, a continual connection, a continual growth, and continual dependence from the great I am is going to be able to flow flow more and more in your life as we abide and remain. So producing, it's going to produce a love that you may even thought was never possible to be loved through you, to be birthed through you. So it's flowing through you and, and wants to spread wide, far, deep, and long. And so, hear me, even right now, Jesus wants you to continually or begin to model that type of love in your life. Even right now, up in here, begin identifying a situation where you can begin asking the Lord how he wants you to love and to go beyond in a way that you thought was never possible. There may be a person, a, a situation, or anything that just grieves you. Maybe it disappoints you and you feel unable to love through it. God wants you to know, that He understands. He knows what you're feeling. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, He wasn't just doing it because they were always obedient, with him, uh, obedient to Him and always made Him happy. Because His love is not released or limited based on how we respond to Him, but extends further than any particular situation. Long, far, deep, high. And so Jesus understands because Jesus, being fully God, but also being fully a human being, he had emotions. He had disappointments, yet without sin. I don't know if you ever had a situation or time where you tried to come at someone in love, but they didn't receive it in love, and so much so that they actually blew up at you. Jesus is perfectly familiar with how that stings, how that hurts you. He's perfectly familiar with how these experiences, what they try to do, they try to affect the way you love. Oh, I'm not going to love anymore. I got shut down. So, enough of that. When Martha, a disciple of Jesus, was in her feelings, even to the point where she went as far as accusing Jesus of being unloving and uncaring, Jesus is saying, I know how it feels. Peter, when he rebuked Jesus to his face and refused to believe his coming death for sinners, Jesus is saying, yes, I know how it feels. And so when he is washing his disciples' feet, Jesus didn't forget about all the mistreatment by his very own disciples. Yet we still see Jesus committing himself to his disciples in the most humbling of ways by serving them, loving them, Specifically in this very act of washing their dusty, dirty feet. Jesus, what he's doing, he's modeling this before us because he's directing us how to go do likewise, how to go do the same. God desires for us to put his love on display. A story popped up on Instagram feed. I think I shared this with my brother. Um, about a father who lost his son to a mysterious, um, violent event that really the details to this day are still unknown of what happened. The father, wanting to hate this individual for taking away his son from him, taking his life away, explained that once when he was entering into the courtroom, that somehow the hate that was once there that he wanted to continue to feel that it began to no longer be there. He even began to, to, to plead with God in his mind, how I cannot hate this way that I want it, Lord. How is this not possible? And then while in that courtroom, he began, uh, strange things began to happen. He, he, he began to even start to see physical resemblances of this man with his son that he couldn't even understand time passes. Later on, he's still compelled. It's still heavy on him what the Lord is doing to him. And so now he decides to write to this man in prison. And essentially what he says to this man in prison, the letter, he says, my son, because of you, is now gone. And so now I'm going to need you to take his place. This father is writing to this person who was responsible for taking his son's life through a senseless act of violence, and now he's proposing to adopt this man to be his own son. The man in prison sometime later writes back to his father, and he essentially said, I told God that if you reached out to me then God, I will give my life to you. Not only did this father reach out, he reached out in a way, oh, that was unimaginable. So much so that even now, even now today, this man in prison is now this father's legal adopted son. Praise be to the one. And so, this, 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 there's no limits on this type of love, this Jesus type of love, what it can do throughout and in your life. But let me say this, that the love of Jesus is also responsible that I mentioned, and that it doesn't always yield the exact same results of the Father in this story. That rather, a, a, a Jesus type of love can also look like Separation like the story of the prodigal son, or the story between Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. And so maybe a Mark-by-Jesus type of love no longer is requiring you to be in the same environment with someone. Hear me, yet God might still be calling you to love still in a way that is still no less unimaginable. Maybe it's, it's, it's praying about something that, yes, in your heart of hearts, you want to just be done with. In your heart of hearts, you want nothing to do with. You want it out of your life or where you're at odds ah, so much so with a person or something or whatever it is. But God, yes, is directing you, wanting you to be committed to that thing through prayer or by some other means. What I'm trying to say is that God sees all. So, whether it's in public or whether it's in private, that God wants us to be looking. He wants us to be searching, examining for ways to put the banner of love up higher and higher. And so I ask, where is Jesus wanting you to display his love in his life? Where? Examine, search, be looking for. And lastly, as I conclude, I don't know if you're familiar with maybe designer clothing, maybe sportswear, and it's, it's something about them that can be so uh, something visible ident- or identifiable about its designs. So much so uh, that you may not even see the logo, but it's something about the style, the creativity, that you just recognize the branding. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it wants to be known for. If you ever had an opportunity or a time that you had to go to the doctor's office and you're in the, the room, there may be many people who come into the room, but there's something that tips you off every time. It's something visible and identifiable when the actual doctor comes in the room. It's that doctor's signature white coat that, that tips you off every time. That's what it's designed to do. That's what it's known for. I started off never Eat soggy wheat, northeast, southwest. That's what my teacher, Dawson Elementary, that's what she designed it for her classroom to learn. And so now, forever in my mind, that's what it's known for. Our presence in this life goes by oh so very quickly. And, and really, the veil to enter into eternity is so, so thin. I was just in the store the other day, and I, and I was talking to this manager, and I, I, I was trying to switch the, the question to something spiritual. I said, if you can ask God anything in your life, what you, would you ask, ask God? And she said, God, why did you take my friend, my beloved friend, away from me last month? What I'm trying to say is that we're here one minute, then it seems like we're gone the next. And so, what I'm saying is, while we are here, what are we going to be? Known? for. You may have your mind set on this, set on that. You may say, but I've done this. I've done that. Jesus is saying, I know that and I understand that. But above it all, I want you to be known for my love, to oh, display my love, lift my banner up. I am the vine and you are the branches to bear my fruit. That fruit of love. And so may we be willing, oh, continually, continually every day before our God who sees and knows all and those he has placed around us in our lives every day. May God be pleased with us. May God be pleased with our life, Lord. Lord, Direct us, guide us, show us how to love. I know it's a high love, but you've given us the command to do it. You want to love through us. Put it up higher and higher. to to fulfill your excitement that we are here by the power of the Holy Ghost, Lord. I pray that you will continually do it into our lives. Oh, Lord, have your way in our lives, oh, Lord. Lead us, Lord. Guide us, oh, Lord. Direct us as we come home to you. Encourage us, Lord. You're encouraging us right now. You want us to be transformed all the more, Lord. We thank you that we get to love in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.